You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1989 Stephen King adaptation classic, Pet Cemetery. People are going to start thinking that we just take the word classic in from episodes ago and just dub it in each episode. I have very good vocal control. Much like the zen-like control in my body. Um, so I can deliver one line the same a thousand times with no variation. I'm the opposite. <laughs> I am the opposite. And I don't even, I don't have like, uh, I have two volumes, my sister used to say, three and eleven. The only two <laughs> volumes Lydia comes with. And so that leads me to apologize for the quietness of our Christine episode. If you noticed at all, uh, we ended up having um, some technical difficulties and I ended up editing it. And I don't have the same magic touch as our friend Wes to kind of boost me. And people complain that I'm quiet. I'm even quieter before Wes fucking fixes it. So, <laughs> yeah. It is, it is my pleasure to do it because I want everyone to to lean on your every word like i do Mm -hmm. i just think it's so much more fun when i'm quiet because it's like more real it's more natural i am a quiet person i don't notice it until i notice the discrepancy in the the recordings because when i'm sitting in front of you I, I obviously I can hear everything that you're saying. And no, exactly. And I, I have my complaints of podcasts that are that have quiet people in them as well, or that have background noise. That's the one extra boon we have is that there isn't background noise drowning me out because it would. Yeah, it would. That's how come what you guys don't hear is when, especially in winter, winter, you guys. Oof! I can't wait until you move, and hopefully this won't be a fucking problem. But winter time. All the snow trucks with the beeping and the fucking shoveling and shit like that. You guys don't know, but sometimes we sit here for five minutes in the middle of a fucking conversation in mid sentence and just wait for a truck to stop. Or someone to stop scraping the snow shovel. Or there was one time a, a, there was a, a pickup truck across the road or tow truck <laughs> towing somebody. Oh, my fucking God. That took forever. That was more like 20 minutes of us sitting here going seriously, asshole. Yeah, seriously. Even me, gentle Wes, sunshine and rainbows Wes, will I will start swearing out the window because I'm so fucking annoyed. Yeah. But fuck all that. We're not here to talk about audio issues. We see the light, Lids. We're at the end of the tunnel. The end of the Stephen King Apalooza tunnel? That's true. And I'm not saying that as because I don't like it. I'm sick of it. I'm fucking thrilled to be doing it and i love that we're ending on pet cemetery uh one of my personal favorite stephen king stories and uh film adaptations um but it's it's good to accomplish something and we've accomplished it we've done it we've finished stephen king a palooza too we'll have some more coming up down the road i have 
more ideas. Wes has more ideas. And undoubtedly, people will be suggesting Stephen King films yeah. that we haven't touched yet. Because there will be another Stephen King of Palooza. Probably when the summer gets sticky. Sticky. I don't know what it is. Because this, you know, the other two films, we did Carrie. We did Christine. If you're just joining us, those are the two films that we've already done. Now we're on to Pet Cemetery. Those first two films, kind of sticky. Mm-hmm. It's very warm looking in a lot of those scenes. Even though uh, the first day of school for Christine, you are in September. But uh, depending on where you are, that's still a fucking hot month. It's hot here in September still. And everything's on fire by the end, so that's kind of hot, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Carrie, too. I mean, it's just uh, it's just a very dusty, dusty little area. This film takes place uh, more towards... It's edging towards winter. And I think... And someone may correct me. I think we skip winter and go back into spring. I think. They must, because... When they start, it's the beginning of the school year because mm-hmm. Ellie's complaining about school. And then she's changing the pumpkin for uh, turkey. So mm-hmm. it's cluing us and then it's heading into November, which yeah. I guess is American Thanksgiving. Yeah. So then, poof, they're having a picnic. <laughs> That's how yeah. it goes. Yeah. So that we must have skipped over. They're like, and nothing really happened in winter. Mm-hmm. That's kind of it. But, uh, and I don't really know what the winters are like in Maine at all. Probably not much different than here, and just probably more damp. Everything's yeah. damp in, in Maine. Yeah, which is funny because it always looks so dry. Although not every Stephen King film that's set in Maine is filmed in Maine, this is an exception. I, apparently he put his foot down? The, this was something about, I don't know if it was so much of, 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 a, of a foot down, but it definitely was a thought that he held on to in which uh, the one of the producers that worked on the film said this was part of the clause of, of buying this script. It was, this is to be shot in Maine. Well, it'd be kind of weird to have a, a character like Judd Crandall anywhere else because no one talks like that. Yeah. He couldn't be in Chicago, let's say. No yeah. way. <laughs> um, this Stephen King movie has two things that Stephen King movies have that haven't been in the last two movies that I've noticed anyway. Mm. Um, Stephen King himself is one. Yep. And a 666 on the side of the truck that Rachel gets into near the end. Uh, finally, much like the 666 on the side of a truck in Maximum Overdrive and in other license plates and who knows where there's 13s and 666s hiding, but... Uh, it could be another reason, that, like another way he's put his foot down and had a little more evil in this film. Yeah, this film operates on a level that is a far stricter horror film than Christine or Carrie. There's a lot more horror elements in it. Uh, there's a lot more gothic imagery of cemeteries and there's ghosts and there's the resurrection of the dead. And this is not something that just happens towards the end of the film. These are the things that, uh, that are primarily what this story is about. Carrie, uh, is, is, is a fascinating character study about a, a young woman who has telekinetic powers and reaches that breaking point towards the end of the film. Christine, is a demonic car. It's an evil car. It's an evil presence, but it is so subtle and gradual. And by the time we're up at the end, we're almost into weird science fiction territory. Mm-hmm. And, and I say science fiction mostly because we're dealing with a mechanical machine. Mechanical's machine. That makes sense. A mechanical machine. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> roll As opposed to a living machine or a mechanical dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mechanical cat. 
Well, as as um, Lydia decides to drag me like I've been smucked by her 18-wheeler of a personality, uh, I will continue. That's one way I have never been described. <laughs> you are the Mack truck of people. I'm really a church most of people, but sure, okay. <laughs> Believe what you want. It's an Orinco truck. Oh, <laughs> No, so seriously, uh, you're great, Lids. Um, so seriously, um, this film is like fucking zombies and ancient Indian burial grounds and and fucking all this crazy shit. And 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 it is a departure in the themes. Like we're not doing bullied teens anymore. It seemed like if we could just get one more Stephen King bullied teen. Or we could have done Misery for, like, a bullied author or something A bullied like author. Or we could get into some of the movies that we're going to hopefully visit in the next Stephen King-a-palooza. Because mm-hmm. it is a recurring theme with him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Or bullies that bully old men. That would be a good one, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, usually, he does use bullies in many different ways. But... The only thing that's a bully here are these giant Orinco trucks, these giant Mack trucks that barrel up and down this beautiful idyllic road, which this area in Maine reminds me a lot of the countryside around where I grew up. There are definitely big, long stretches of paved road that trucks barrel down like this past beautiful looking Cape Cod style manors that are really wonderful, beautiful country homes that uh, I'm sure there's a pet cemetery or two hiding in those rolling hills. Mm-hmm. When did you first encounter the pet cemetery story? Did you read the book first or did you see the flick first? I certainly did. And in fact, this particular book was the subject of a telephone call home from the school to my mother. Oh my, gang, breaking news. Tell that fucking story. I'm going to. Um, it came out and like, this is all, I'm doing some math here in my notes. It came out in 83. Mm-hmm. I was in grade three mm-hmm. in 83. And, or maybe even younger. I must have been younger. But either way. So it would have been by 85, 86 by the time I was reading the paperback. And I was reading it in grade five. And I had it on my desk. And I brought it to school and I was reading a book. Like any kid brings a book and reads in school. Mm. And a teacher had noticed it. And I remember the teacher saying something to me. It was Mrs. Bennett. And she was like, hey, are you reading that? And I was like, yeah, I sure am. And she's like, do you like it? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a big Stephen King fan. And this should have told her. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm a big Stephen King fan. I read, I've read, i read a lot of Stephen King. By the time I was in grade five, I'd read a lot of Stephen King. Okay. Salem's Lot was a, one of the first ones I'd picked up. Mm. And because my mom and my grandmother had a lot of Stephen King. This was off my mother's bookshelf. That's how I was exposed to a lot of King books, too. Exactly. We, we, we should all just collectively thank our mothers because it's yeah. mostly mothers that kept the books in the house. Right? I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I got home from school and my mom was like, Maybe you should read the books at home, honey, because Mrs. Bennett called and was very concerned that you were reading horror stories because she had read it and she knew what it was all about. And she was like, I don't mind you reading Stephen King, obviously. And I explained to her that it was my book and you you had my permission to read it. And it wasn't like a, a bad thing you were doing. And it's not a bad thing you're doing. Just maybe you should just keep the horror books at home so that I don't get fucking calls from your teachers. I don't understand. Is it just because it, it's a horror book? I don't get it. What What is the pro- like? I can un- okay. So what is the problem? I'm not an idiot. I can guess what the problem would be. But was there a way that the teacher 
would have articulated it to your mother that didn't make her sound like a fucking imbecile. Do you know what your daughter's reading? <laughs> so no. <laughs> yeah, no. And I can understand some concern. And I you know we have to put a little more faith in, in children sometimes, especially good kids like I was. Uh, um, she could have asked me, does your mom know you're reading this? And the answer would have been yes. I bought it from my mother. Oh, but kids lie. Yeah, I And know. Lydia's an evil name, so. It sure is. It sure is. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So that was that's my Stephen King Pet Cemetery story. And then I watched the movie later on, and I was really excited to see it, and I enjoyed it very much. The um, Gage death scene in the book is so much more touching. I expected that to be the thing that would like upset me watching this, because it upset mm. me deeply the way that it's positioned in the book. And because it's just very tense. He does, he's a master of suspense with that scene. It's not that suspenseful in the, in the film, but it was this Achilles tendon scene that has stuck with me. Not so much Zelda. I hear a lot of people talk about Zelda. You say Pet Cemetery, people say Zelda. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it was this Achilles tendon thing. No, yeah. I think that the if we're talking about like weird old women in beds, or I guess she's not an old woman. She's a sick. She's a sick woman. Actually, played by sixteen. Yeah. Sixteen, played by a a, a a very thin young boy. But um, uh, th- I, I think when it comes to emaciated, creeping, creepy people in bed, I'll take uh, the the old woman from uh, Black Sabbath. I think that's like a creepier fucking old lady when that ring gets stolen or whatever. And that, no, I don't find Zelda very uh, scary. Uh, chewing a lot of fucking scenery. That's that that lady's up to eleven. She yeah. has to be. Well, she is supposed to be like Denise Crosby's nightmarish vision of her. Uh, so I'm I always kind of uh, give that a pass because it it's it's like oh this is how a child would interpret that. It's probably like ten times worse and creepier to a child when that's happening as opposed to an adult where it's just like well this person's just sick and mm-hmm. they're, they're not scary they're sick so there's a difference but a kid would think of that as as nightmarish right oh well, there's people that think people with false teeth are nightmarish when they're kids so. <laughs> there's yeah. there's that too um some people are pretty sensitive i didn't get a phone call from school about pet cemetery or really reading anything but uh this is kind of an aside, but I did get, uh, my parents did get called in one time. I don't know if I've ever told this story before, but I got my parents called and I didn't know this. I had no recollection of my parents getting called in. Uh, but, but the teachers called my parents because they're very concerned about Wes, what Wes is doing with his spare time, what I was doing. And admittedly, I can understand why you might think this is creepy. I was d- drawing with my Crayola. Uh, graphic depictions of my teachers getting murdered. Just in case you weren't sure that they were the teachers, because obviously my likenesses weren't exactly on point when I was in elementary school, I would write their names and point an arrow to it and just let them know various degrees of torture, cages, emaciated skeletons, and write their name and like, that's who that is. And then knife in the head, disemboweled, fucking bodies, blood everywhere. These are the drawings that I was doing. I had a big stack of them. And I remember uh, my teacher, Mrs. Adlar, if that, if I think I'm remembering it correctly, she came over my shoulder one day and she's like, what are you drawing? Is that me? I'm like, sure is. Like swinging my (laughs) legs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I got... um, they got they got called to the fucking school because they thought they had a burgeoning psychopath on their hands and and look at you now and look at me now 
<laughs> haven't killed a single one of them. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? God's probably sorted half of them out by now. Yeah, that's what I figure. That's what I figure. <laughs> Anyways, uh, but um, I think th- I read Pet Cemetery first because I didn't see Pet Cemetery well until like the late 90s or something like that. Um, uh, but I read it as a youngin, and it was just my mom's copy, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And And it wasn't so much that... I hadn't really even heard anything about anything. It was probably just a, a random grab. My m- oh, you know what? I'd have to say that you looked at the cover and said, damn, I want to read this. Because the cover <laughs> of this book, shit. It's a beautiful, eye-catching cover. It really is. So my my mom had two places in which she primarily kept books. My mother's My mother's book collection was insane. So, and, 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 and. That's also considering the fact that she would go to the library a lot. Yeah. She would take out fucking multiple books a week, crush them all through a week, and then go rent, uh, get more. Uh, but she also had a personal collection, and it would just be on bookshelves, but sideways, so they could you could put more on them. Yeah. And so to really get a, a, to appreciate a lot of the King covers, you would have to pull them out, and they weren't really organized like maybe my mom is listening now and she'd be like text me fuck you west they were organized you're just an idiot (laughs) but um or it's all up here but uh i always thought it was just kind of random but but the nice thing about king books and the way that they're advertised on the spine is you can see stephen king from fucking space yeah like the the name is just huge and He's a fucking thick book author a lot of the time. Some of these books are big freaking books. You could kill somebody with it. Especially if she had it, Tommy Knackers, and Stan together. That's a shelf. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I was, I was like, oh, let me see one of those phone books. Oh, those aren't phone books. Those are just a couple of Stephen King novels. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it wasn't until years later where I saw Pet Cemetery, and I saw it one Halloween month. It was really good. And and I remember just fucking loving it. I, I really liked being familiar with a film. I'm, I didn't read a lot as a kid. I was not an avid reader. I would read, but not as much as like you, for example. I was not like you. And you all. weren't one of those kids that, like me, I crushed, in air quotes, to use a West word, um, the girl on the train just over the long weekend and mm-hmm. not even over the long weekend I, I grabbed it to read over the long weekend and by sun, saturday morning i was done the stinking book but i borrowed that book specifically because the movie seems interesting to me and i wanted to read the book first so you weren't that kid that was like oh no. i'm gonna have to read this entire comic series because i want to watch this movie or i'm gonna have to pick up those novels or had you like read any Tolkien before you watched Lord of the Rings and stuff? No, no, really. Uh, um, no. Apparently, when it came to Lord of the Rings, my mother said that she had read the books to us. That's how I. Re- uh, that's how um, I read "quote unquote" Jurassic Park. My mother read it to us at the cottage. Oh, cool. Um. So and and uh, and it wasn't until I'd already seen Jurassic Park. The movie, and then my mom had read the book. I have no fucking memories of her reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but apparently she did. Uh, and even did The Hobbit as well. Um, which is funny because when the Lord of the Rings 
movies came out, I was actually more familiar with The Hobbit than I was the Lord of the Rings movies. I didn't even realize that they were the same. If you said The Hobbit to me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know The Hobbit, like fucking Gollum and shit like that. But if you said Lord of the Rings to me, like when I first saw the trailer for it, my friends were all excited. I don't mean to fucking talk about Lord of the Rings. My friends were all excited about Lord of the Rings. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) I'm not even fucking joking. And then when I first saw the movie, I was like, this movie sucks. Wow. I hated the I hated the the fucking first Lord of the Rings. I was like, this is boring fucking wizards. What is this bullshit? Throw some lightning bolts. Gandalf. Okay. Okay. But anyways, uh, (laughs) a bunch of people have just like deleted our fucking uh, podcast from their phones and shit like that. Well, happily, we can turn to subjects on which we agree. Yes. Which is Stephen King, Church is Awesome. The end. Yeah, and let me just say, I feel because I feel like I need to defend myself. I have warmed up to the Lord of the Rings movies now, and I've seen them, and I think they're pretty good. When I watched uh, Pet Cemetery, I was enamored by uh, Fred Gwynn's performance. I had been a Munsters kid, Adam's Family kid too. Like I didn't, I didn't live in a household where I had to choose. I could just watch them both. But uh, I, I and I was like, is that? him it fucking definitely is fucking herman munster mm-hmm. and just uh, and and that character became just really the focal point to me i loved the movie because i loved his performance in that movie and 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 it really i was like man i, I it made me i was like i wish i was a sleepy old man sitting on a porch that knew things that was the first you will be someday trust me i will if I you will. can afford a porch you will be that guy yeah yeah i i'm just gonna freaking sit there i'm gonna rock I'm going to have my little six-pack of beer. Are you going to wear overalls? I think I might. Oh, my God. I would love if you wore overalls on my shit. That would be perfect. <laughs> it would only work if I brought you some Red Stripe or Budweiser. Exactly. But you know what? If you brought me that, I would drink it, you know, because you got to uh, – out of respect. Yeah. But that became the end all be I love church. I was such a fluffy, cute kitty. And I love this story. I love – and I and I remember loving it when I was a book. I have this weird obsession with um, death and how people perceive it, and people who are able to let go and people who aren't. I find everyone's personal uh, way that they deal with how someone dies because everybody grieves in their own way. And that sounds like a cliche, but for fuck, like I've been on this world thirty five years, and I've seen a lot of people come and go, and. I, I I can never I'll never judge how I react to certain people oh, dying. Exactly. No, and never. and and other people react. Sometimes they're angry. Sometimes they don't seem to care. Sometimes they break down. Sometimes people who seemingly you have a very vague connection to, you break down and cry while someone you're extraordinarily close to dies, and you you almost numb to it or something. Like it's it's so fascinating to watch. So this story about. Uh, not being able to let go of the fact that people and things die about not being able to talk openly about death, about how you try to shield people from the ultimate truth that we as humans are cursed to know that we will die and cease to exist. It's so, there's so many different things going on circling around death in this film. I just, fucking love it and even if certain performances aren't where i want them to be you know i always have the book to fall back on yeah where every performance is masterful because it happens in my head oh it's true same here um but uh but but it's just this is such a a a a relatable 
story and it just turns my crank in the in the exact way that I want. And that's how come this really is you know, it's still one of my favorites. I still fucking think I like Carrie more at this point because it's just a Really? I think it's just a better movie, but in yeah, terms of Yeah, it definitely is and I like Carrie better for those reasons as well, but I you really hit the nail on the head with your description of what is so touching mm-hmm. about this story. Mm-hmm. Because like, let me tell you, aside from Gage, who is of all the child actors on the entire planet, that is the child actor to aspire to because yeah. he is just impeccable, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the other actors, child actors, and Judd Crandall aside, mm-hmm. um, are all just, it's not a good film. It's its literally not a good film because of their performances. Even Miss Crosby, mm-hmm. it's, she's not a good actress in this film. Um the number one offender has to be the man playing Lewis Creed. And I apologize, Mr. Dale Midkiff. It is the most wooden cardboard cutout acting I've ever seen in a, in a role that is so rich. And, you know, you could give him a pass because he's supposed to be a doctor. And if anyone's supposed to understand death, it, like exquisitely and understand, like even the, from the clinical end of death and be able to talk about death. It's a doctor who sees death all of the time, and this is a man who can't let go. I mean, not that it's hard to act that. I, I don't know. But he doesn't He doesn't bring it. He doesn't sell us that he loves his wife. He doesn't sell us that he loves his children. None of these relationships really ring true at all through any of these people. So it's it's fascinating that it did touch so many people, probably just on the basic level, because you get a little bit internal watching this film. Mm-hmm. You can't help it. And I think that helps elevate the film as a whole, is what you're internally thinking. No, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. Um, and I think that, like me, personally, internalizing, um, you, want, you want to be able to sit down. Like, you know, I'm watching certain scenes and I was like, just tell your daughter what being dead is. Just explain to her that the cat is gone. Just... You like, and, and I was like, you cannot ever, you cannot ever deal with death until you look it straight in the face and say, they're gone. They're gone. And, and the people that you love that you wish weren't gone are gone. And all you have is your memories. You know, uh, Judd eloquent, like says this beautifully in his sort of hound dog, uh, main sort of way, but in his very famous lines is death is better. And, and it's just because the idea of, of, of trying to hold on to things, like he says, it's bad for you, it's bad for them, and it's bad for everyone around you. And that doesn't necessarily need to be, we've resurrected an insane killer child. That can just be, you're not living your life anymore because you're spending too much time grieving on someone who's gone who would want you to live Mm-hmm. And and to carry on, and because you have to, you have, you just have to. That's where he has a few lines that are really uplifting, actually, with in regards to death. When he's telling Ellie that a graveyard is a place where the dead speak mm-hmm. and scares her, and it's it's kind of a cute little scene mm-hmm. and all. But he's like, this is where you know you can look around and see all of these people that meant so much to other people because yeah. where. Death is where the pain ends and the good memories begin. Yeah. Which is a really lovely line and a lovely sentiment and a good way to console somebody who maybe can't let go. But then you could also console them by showing them the uh, burial ground beyond the deadfall. (laughs) You can. Uh, In that one scene that you were just talking about, uh, Judd also has 
a line that I love where he's like, that's not a scary place. And I love that about teaching children that this doesn't have to be scary. And, and, and sometimes when things are scary, it's not that bad. It's fine that you read Stephen King in grade five. It's fine that I drew my mutilated teachers. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. Cause this whole, and, and, and you have Denise Crosby's character, uh, I don't know if the cicadas are picking up, but... <laughs> well, it's perfect for Stephen King and Palooza. It is perfect for Stephen King and Palooza. Um, she's definitely of this mentality. I mean, she's from a very well-off family, very waspy. They're from Chicago. She is, uh, she's probably, you know, she's just businesswoman. I don't... Who knows, right? I don't like, know what she is, but she's a businesswoman, prep school. Yeah. Uh, Shoulder pads, yeah. fucking pumps, the whole deal. And she's... Let's shield. Don't talk about death. I don't want to talk about death. And and shield your children from these places. And this is horrible. A, a graveyard for dead animals that died on the road. And 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 so it's this weird, so I'm like vague hover mom mentality. Although she doesn't hover too much. Um, no, she doesn't. There's it, not enough scenes with her and him having actual conversations. I think the only time that she expresses anything to him, he. Uh, consoles her briefly and then offers her a Valium, and that's the end of that scene. Uh, no, she's pretty straight-laced, too straight-laced, in that, yeah, she wants to shield the children far too much from things that kids should know about, especially to learn it from a doctor. They have a scene when they're talking about getting the church's nuts cut so he won't roam across the road, uh, which is a, a normal reaction to keep cats from roaming, because they're usually roaming for a mate, so they're going to get church fixed, and... She forces him to promise their young daughter that the cat's going to be okay. But anyone who knows anything about general anesthetic, because they're going to have to put this cat down apparently for it, um, then there is a slim chance with any creature where you put under for any sort of medical operation that they might not make it out of it. They might not wake up. You might just be overdosed on whatever they used to put you under. So he promises her because the wife forces him to and then mumbles to her with gritted teeth later if anything happens to this cat because there's a slim one in a thousand chance that it might not wake up after surgery. You're the one explaining it to her. And like that would fucking happen. I like that. I think that she would be one of those parents that lies and says, oh, church ran away. Oh, yeah. He's going to live on a farm. But we live on a farm. Oh, this is a different farm. A better farm. Unfortunately, there's not enough screen time spent for us to really appreciate this character. It's interesting that somehow in a movie where there's there's a there's a fucking new doctor in town, he he still has more time with the children. I suppose it's to just because um to to show that connection that he has with his son more so than his daughter. I think that um uh his wife definitely has more scenes with the daughter than he does, but he mm-hmm. has more scenes with his son and vice versa, I guess. But like when we first start out in this picture because we've talked about what this movie is actually about it's about death it is about death and it's about uh, um the ramones really <laughs> because they have some ramones songs here and there through it and i personally do not want to be buried in a pet cemetery because i don't want to live my life again uh, but would you like to be buried in a pet cemetery yeah 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 I, i'm not that guy listen i love me mm-hmm. and i love the idea of my singular existence and anytime everyone's like, would you want to be a zombie or a vampire or anything? I'm like, yep, I sure would. 
I don't care. As long as I can, I, it's like, I'll learn how the other, other, other half eats. I don't give a shit. I, I was like, yes, bear me in a pet cemetery. I will come back and we will have an awful good time. An awful good time. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, I definitely would be pet cemetery guy, but I tell you what, I'm not guy. I'm not go to a house that I just bought. And never having fucking looked at it before. I know, right? I, I I just, you get the guess that he went and saw the house and picked it out, right? And this is the first time she and the children have seen it. Um, For her being such a controlling, waspy, learned, and determined woman, you would think she'd be like, I'm going to fly down there. She just seems to fly all over the country. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So why didn't she go and check out this house? What was she so busy doing? Raising her children? Highly doubt it. Yeah, because they, they're not in that house for more than two seconds before they even have a, a, a maid. Yeah. So it, it it's just seems that she is probably just hyper businesswoman. They probably had caretakers that looked after the children. And if they were in Chicago and the grandparents were in Chicago, how often do you think that the grandparents were just given the kids and the grandparents given the kids, the grandparents' servants were given the kids. Mm-hmm. These people are exceedingly wealthy. I don't know what kind of... I, just old money, it looks like, right? From from there, we learn that, yeah, he's a doctor and he's come to shut up, set up shop. It's not one of those stories where I'm a writer and I've bought this house to write in isolation and I've brought my family. So it's not really an isolation because there are stories that have that. Like Secret Window. Yes. Um, so I do like the fact that he's not a writer. I like that we've we've not hit on any Stephen King movies this time where the protagonist is a writer. We'll have to do a spate of them where it's just writers. Yeah. We'll do Misery and Secret Window back to back. Yeah. There we go. Because uh, we did 1408 and he is a writer. Well, well, he was, yes, he was well, a writer. Well, he's more of like a, like a true, not true crime, but he was like a ghost story yeah, he was like a writer. A, yeah. So it was like nonfiction. Yeah, but he was still a writer. Oh, he behaved he's, like one. And he had a book tour. So like that's a writer right there. Yeah. Um, when we're introduced to this house, beautiful, idyllic house, looks like it's been freshly painted. It's a nice place. We're introduced to the road. The road that has the same truck, trucks driving down like an endless loop. It's like the same fucking truck. It is the same fucking truck. Same, same, uh, color, same make, same everything. It's probably the same truck for cost value or something like that. It's very distracting. But at the same time, uh, we also have learned that, uh, little Gage, uh, is a wanderer. Holy shit. That kid wants to be in that road. He needs to be in that road. He can't fucking be left alone for a fucking second. His sister, goes ass over tea kettle in the fucking tire swing and he just wanders out to the road don't worry old judd's on the case yeah the next door neighbor comes scoops him up scoops him up and right away warns him like this road is dangerous because these trucks barrel up and down here day and night uh you're gonna keep an eye on this one and he also suggests that the cat get fixed because a cat will roam and this all leads into Ali asking about the path that leads off into the woods. And he's like, I'm going to tell you about that path. I'm going to tell you a story. We'll all go down there. Sort of makes a future promise to like tell them all about how the road has killed off pets and other animals all of its fucking life. Yeah. All- Hence the pet cemetery. Yeah. Judd played uh, impeccably, as we said, by Fred Gwynn. Uh, he 
is is a, a classic uh, Stephen King character. He's an elderly gentleman who knows things, who has uh, access to secret knowledge. And he has access to this knowledge simply by being an old man that has just not left the town. He is that guy. He knows everyone. He knows everything. He's talking about stories from this town going back to the 20s. Which is why he appears in other Stephen King things. Oh. Definitely. It's wonderful stuff. Judd Crandall is a great Stephen King type person and a good Stephen King character as it is. Um, yeah, and all he has is the virtue of age, really, and being in the same spot all this time. Yeah, he, uh, you know, classic widower, just sits out on the porch, just hangs out, and sort of watches life pass by. Now, he's really thrilled that there's people in the house. Not only uh, is it something different to look at when he's out on the porch, see kids playing around, that's kind of nice, but he can just... Basically, I'm your old man friend now. (laughs) Someone to drink beer with. (laughs) There's something that I find very almost envious about things like this. I've always wanted to move a place and just make friends. I'm so bad. This is such a weird thing to to, to want or whatever. Anytime that there's a, a story in which people move anywhere, when I was a teenager and it was uh teens teen movies about teens moving into place and then all of a sudden they meet somebody they meet other teens and then they go on adventures and shit like that like rupert bear and shit where you're having a normal day as a as a anthropomorphic bear boy and then all of a sudden you meet like a gremlin and then you go on a big adventure i always like had like this fantasy as like life's so boring and i really want to like go somewhere or meet someone who just life isn't so boring they open up this world of magic and mysticism to you uh and, and now I feel like maybe my lot in life is not to meet somebody like that. It's to be somebody like that. Oh, God. You're going to be that guy. Someone's going to move in and you'll be like, oh, what are you doing over here, boy? I'm going to bring you some beer. I'm going to just, I walked into your house already. What are yeah. you going to do? Yeah. Walked into your house. Grab some beers. I'll tell you about that path over there. It's a bike path. <laughs> Pretty much. So you're living in Ottawa, you're not going to have much fucking mysticism, sir. Yeah, just an old man living in Ottawa. And guess what? You're going to be privy to that. Unless we move away into the countryside somewhere where no neighbors are going to come over to our goddamn house. Please and thank you. Oh, God. Yeah, that would be the worst for you. I'm talking about like, you see, I, I say that, but I'm such an introvert that I don't think that I would actually ever talk to anybody, but I would want to. And and I just love when stories start out like this, just people making friends. Because <laughs> just he's right in there i mean day one the first day lewis is just wanders over onto the porch and it's like oh look he's sitting there smoking a cigarette i'm gonna go have a beer with him they already have nicknames because right away judd's like is that you doc like who the fuck else would it be i guess (laughs) guess we're friends now but this is a really cool area despite the fact that there's the road but don't you worry they're aware of the road the kids are aware of the road uh, well, church is going to get hit by a car. Yeah, church gets <clears throat> hit by a car, but I mean, it's fine. You just tell the kid that the cat ran away. You go get a different cat. Like, apparently they had, what, six of these fucking cats. Or yeah, five anything. or six cats on set just to... Much like London from Littlest Hobo. Mm. Yeah, I like this. I like this. It's pretty good. Uh, one of the six churches. It's a really cute cat. It's a very cute cat. I love. I love church. It is. It is a this gorgeous gray cat. It looks so soft. It just looks so cool. 
uh, very well trained. Each one of the cats apparently was good at one thing. But this sequence in this film is the inception of Pet Cemetery. This was a story that Stephen King very famously um, talked about how he was inspired, that he moved into a place in Maine, not unlike that. And when he first did, his daughter, eldest daughter, had a cat. The cat got hit by a car in the road. A neighbor called them up and said, you got a spot of trouble here because there's a cat and think it's probably uh, your daughter's. And sure enough, it was. And as he crossed the road, apparently, to to get the cat's body, he had already formed, like had the entire outline of the book in it because that's what he's a freak of nature that crosses a road. And on the other side of the road, he's got a book. I don't know if that's necessarily freak of nature. The freak of nature part is where he sits down and writes the goddamn thing in one month or eight months or 20 years or however long it takes him to crank out whatever particular story because that's how it happens with many creative sparks of genius Mm -hmm. um a lot of ideas that authors have don't make it to paper that's the the freak genius part of stephen king is that he buries a cat and then scurries back into his office and starts typing right like that's that's the freakish part he did park this story for a little while he had uh, dealt with a bit of uh, depression he had suggested and other people have suggested uh, that it was writing this story itself, which was so dark. It was such a dark Stephen King story that that it had brought on this depression and he couldn't finish the book and then he put it away and then later on he uh, continued it. I don't know. The story seems somewhat apocryphal to me at this point, but it might be true. I think him dealing with his substance abuse at the time and and all that kind of shit. I don't know if he had if he had cleaned up by eighty nine or or not. I guess eighty three is when the book came out, Mm -hmm. but uh, he was probably in the thick of it in those days. So it was probably a conflation of things. And when you're on stuff and you're you're drunk or you're on drugs or something like that, and you're dealing with writing something that's sad and you're an emotional person. Yeah. It can, it can put you down to the dumps, but uh, it could have been anything, but it certainly makes for uh, a cool story that this story is what it's like, Oh, I can't do it. It's too dark. <laughs> it's too dark for Stephen King. Which is um, your first sign that it's a perfect film for us. Exactly. And no wonder that it had the blockbuster hittedness that it did, because it is a very touching story that many people can relate to, not only because of the death thinking that you would go through, uh, encountering the two ideas of death, a very clinical view of death and a very fearful view of death. Um, Little things like having a a person, a, a family member in the house that is dying of a disease that is the reality for a lot of people losing a pet death talk aside that's a pretty realistic thing for Mm -hmm. a lot of people having trouble with the in-laws is a really realistic (laughs) thing you know we we get a scene um right before everyone goes away for thanksgiving and leaves him with a dead cat to deal with where the doctor lewis creed has to deal with death yet again like he does every fucking day at work with a jogger Yep, 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 yep. An 80s jogger. So he was wearing little shorts and uh, it looked like he was doing everything right. He has his bright colored shorts on and he's doing his jogging thing. But old Victor. Victor fucking getting brought in with his brains hanging out. Yeah, quite graphic too. I, I did enjoy that when I was younger. There's not really too much more gore that lingers in this film. There's a no. little bit of it here and there. Nothing really outstanding. But Victor Pasco's 
skull exposed and pulsing and all that is, is pretty cool looking. They do a pretty good job of it even now. I didn't think that would stand up. I didn't think any of the effects would really stand up. And it's passing. It's not bad. But Victor, who has died, is clinically dead on the table, is where Lewis, I don't know if doctors actually do this, decided to just be like, well, cadaver, since you're uh, checked out, I guess I'll tell you about my day. My wife's being a bit of a bitch. <laughs> gonna have to tell you that since you're not gonna tell anyone. It's like talking to a dog. <laughs> talking to a dog. And during this little exchange, I suppose, um, Pascal comes to and grabs Lewis and gives him some like prophetic bullshit about a man's heart being stony or some dumb crap like that and tells him not to go into the ground beyond. Like, it's not like that cryptic. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, like, and he knew his name. So I don't know why Lewis isn't more freaked out by all this. I don't know. I think that the only thing that he's hinging on is the fact that he knew the name. Everything else, it's just synapses firing, right? It's all garbledy gook, whatever the fuck he's saying. And he's remembering his brain is firing off. A line from a book. I mean, the brain that's on the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pulsing away. Exactly. He, his brain is firing off a, a line from a book that he fucking read, or a movie, or something that he heard. Whatever. Like, who knows what the fuck it is? Uh, he might have even heard it. Maybe he said it himself one time. Uh, maybe he was a, an amateur poet, and he was like, well, "I was like, I just got. I'm working some stuff out. What do you think?" Most joggers are. Yeah, exactly. He's like, "This is what I think about my poetry. Uh, it's just like me in the road and cars and shit." So it's like it's a really great place for me to like just really like find myself. Anyways, here's this thing I've been working on. Um, sorry, that's my poet. No, uh, that's that's totally that sounded just like him too. But <laughs> I guess in Lewis Creed fashion, he has decided to just handle this way uh, most doctors should handle death. Just like, well, that guy had a lot of garbled gook to say. Yeah, I guess I'm going home and washing up. Yeah, he's he's just like, oh, it's my first day. It was supposed to be nothing more serious than a sprain. Goes home, washes up, goes to sleep. Now he's going to be uh, visited by this spirit, haunted, you will. Uh, this spirit. So, th- th- I understand that this is uh, a, a helpful specter. He's a good ghost. He's a good ghost. Yeah. Uh, no, there's lots of good ghosts in, in films and stuff like that. You know, Ghost Dad and Casper. <laughs> Casper and shit like that. But uh, in this case, he is uh, delivering a warning. It's a, it's a beware the Ides of March type thing where he, he's telling him don't go beyond the pet cemetery. I suspect that had he just not said anything, these dark forces wouldn't uh, seem to twist and lure people because I'm not entirely convinced that Judd through his own volition really made the decision to like, let's go bring the cat to this place. I feel as though, cause it doesn't make any sense. He, even him himself is like, I don't know why I did it. Right. Like, yeah. like so I'm just like, I wonder if there's something pulling Definitely. since they visited that place. Cause they, they visited it first as a family and he seemed oddly drawn to the, the deadfall that's on the other side of the pet cemetery. Now, this is going to uh, culminate into, you know, churches are going to get hit. Now, this car, uh, this cat is fucking dead. 
Yeah, he has to peel it up off the frost. And even Jed says later on, like, your your body doesn't stop repelling frost until you're really dead. You know, it's yeah. obviously very dead. It's yeah. frozen in the ground. I've had to remove a, a dead mouse in the same state mm. at one point. So I've we, uh, dealt we, with an animal in the same state. We had a cat. Uh, that got hit by a car. My brother had to take it off the road. Yeah. I hanging off of its head. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. Church is in a much better way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he very, he looks very different. He doesn't look like the same cat to me, the same color. But as like a lot of people, a lot of things look different when they're dead. Yep. So, that's very true. So I, I'll give that a, a pass like that. But this thing is just stiff as a board, just <laughs> pulling it up from the fucking ground. Lewis doesn't really know how he's going to handle this. And, and of course, the rational side in all of our brains is like, you got to, sorry, this sucks. But you have kids. You got them a cat. Cats don't live that long. I mean, they, they can live for a bit. No, they but- just had this conversation about how the cat's not going to live very long. And Ellie had a big pop out about it's not God's cat is my cat, blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah. But whatever. You know, you know, you bury the fucking cat. When the cat- kid comes home, they say, where's the cat? I say, I don't fucking know. That's a way to go, Maybe too. you shouldn't have left your cat, kid. Yeah, but it's like, you love your cat so much, why'd you fucking leave it? Yeah. It's uh, all your fault. It is all Ellie's fault. I swear it's all Ellie's fault. Ellie went there with too many questions in our little brain, and the ghost of the McMack burial ground was like, oh, there's a sucker. So they just waited for Ellie's will. It was all Ellie's will while all of this happened. Yeah, the McMack burial ground was just like, look at this world-class rube. We're yeah. going to get her. Totally. <laughs> We'll do what we have to can. We'll call all the adult males around to make that cat end up in our dirt. Exactly. You'd think this. This is like one of the, one of those situations where it's like you'd think logically that I hate. I might not even. You know what? I'm going to say it anyway. It's crazy to me that this for almost a century now this road has just been a fucking death trap for animals and people keep getting hit by cars. Is there is is there nothing at all that can be done speed limits stop signs anything that can be done if no one's complained if it's never you know if there isn't somebody out there to complain like our teachers who had called home on us Mm -hmm. respectively if there's not someone there like that if it's just a bunch of farmers are like oh dogs got hit by the road better bury it in the pet cemetery they're handling it wes I, I suppose, and and you you might have really come onto something there because uh, we haven't talked about uh, Missy that much. Missy, yeah, you know yeah. she she's got stomach problems. She never married a doctor, but that's just the way it is. Never married anyone. Never married anyone. Maybe no one will marry me. Guess huh? I'm not so lucky. Guess I'm not so lucky. And she she's been having stomach pains, and uh, they'll pass. Always do. And uh, even though she's working for a doctor. Who is like, I will check out your stomach for you to see what's wrong. And she's like, nope, that's fine. I'm fine. Ridiculous woman. I wouldn't have hired her as a housekeeper. Like, you know, I'm pretty particular about the housekeeping and the maid and stuff. So she does the laundry, whatever, you know. Um, I Somebody that negative. And it sounds strange coming from me, who somebody's pretty even keel and can have a really elastic attitude toward people with exhibiting negativity because i can really understand a lot of where people are coming from but her in particular if you don't want help shut your fucking mouth yeah yeah Yeah. she is not just a gray cloud she's a gray cloud that is determined to rain on people and i don't i cannot handle 
super toxic people like that. I can't, I don't like this character whatsoever. Yeah. Well, good news. She's not going to be around forever. No, it's true. No one's going to bury her in a pet cemetery. No one is. Uh, they don't either. But uh, now we have a dead cat. Judd's got an idea. Hooded Judd. He looks uh, ominous. Fred Gwynn's a tall man. Yes. So he's he like, is. so, you know, Judd is a, as a, as a, just an old hearty farmer. He's just a fucking big dude. Big old dude. Um, well, he's got an idea. We can bury it in the pet cemetery. But this is a bit of a misnomer, I feel. Because, yes, the movie's called Pet Cemetery. Funny spelling. It's a like children's a it's, sign. It's, yeah, it's, it's, if you want to know why the S is weird, it's almost like a lemonade stand with one of the letters backwards. That's what this is. Yeah. Um, but this. This burial ground, this uh, Micmac burial ground, this this place is so far, far away from the pet cemetery. Does it count? It's not the pet cemetery. It's a place like a fucking hour's that or could walk. you even walk a half hour and bury shit there? Does it half come out? I don't know. What's what? What is that? Who knows? Like, why it does seem about an hour away. Although every time they cut to somebody returning from this McMack burial ground, they're just walking up the path. They're like five minutes from home. Like, is it is it a weird time warp where you're you? It takes you an hour to get out there, and then you turn around and there's the house. Well, I like it. It's like the it's like the white space in between a comic panel, Lydia. You can travel dimensions. Light years between one panel in the and the next in between that white space. As long as it's not part of the story, it's irrelevant. Yeah. So we control time with this path. I also like that in the daytime, it doesn't look like there's that many rocks lining the path. But at night, it's like fucking almost as if there's like LED lights. There's yeah. so many rocks reflecting the moonlight and shit like that. Fog. It's very good. Yeah. It is. It is quite the graveyard path. But... Does it count? Is it even part of the pet cemetery? Like, no wonder nothing happens to the pets buried in the pet cemetery if the resurrection power is contained a fucking hour away through mm-hmm. the bush. Maybe it's not that long. Maybe they just they screwed us a little in that in that not montage sequence, but the travel sequence. Mm-hmm. It becomes a Lord of the Rings because they're just walking forever. And he asks mm-hmm. Judd like three times, "Are we there yet?" You know that's that like, sort of stuff. Yeah. He's like, "Not far now." Yeah. That's how much time I'm in it. <laughs> it's very Ridiculous. Good. Like, if I recall in the book, the cemetery is not that far from the pet cemetery. It's over the deadfall, mm-hmm. quite literally. It's on the other side of the deadfall. Not on the other side of the deadfall in a fucking 45-minute trek through the wilderness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. up to a fucking mountaintop. Yeah, but it's really uh, twisted over the years. Uh, so now it's like people think, oh, you're burying it in the pet cemetery. And it resurrects the dead. It's like, no, watch the movie or go read the book again. It's not it's not the pet yeah, cemetery. That's why Spot, Judd's own dog himself, is buried forever in mm-hmm. the pet cemetery. Yeah. But fuck all that. Now, Lewis is up there. He's got a fucking shovel and a pickaxe. It's it's not gonna be that easy. And I um, I feel for Lewis. This boy has got a lot of digging in his future, and he doesn't even know it yet. No, he does not know it. For right now, the ground is thin, and each bear is his own. It's only a cat. 
He doesn't have to bury it that far. He can scoop the ha- the dirt back in with his arms afterward. Somehow it takes him all day, but whatever. It's stony yeah. ground. It's stony ground, much like a man's heart. A man's heart is stonier, you say. Mm, I do. Still doesn't creep Lewis out. Probably of nothing. Yeah. That's probably fine. Yeah, it's probably fine. Um, What's interesting is that Lewis doesn't really ask why they're not burying church in the pet cemetery proper judge says oh just over here we go over the deadfall and fucking lewis like there there had to have been a point where lewis could stop being such a weirdo and just following everything judd says maybe when he fucking flips his shit and falls down the deadfall like holding a garbage bag full of dead cat and and that still he's like okay i guess i'll just go back up and he's just following and following it. And like we were pointing out when we were watching the movie, he's covered in dirt. He's exhausted. He's sweaty. Meanwhile, Judd, who's 75 years old, just fucking walking up there. Like a mountain goat. <laughs> sure-footed as shit. Yeah. And is totally fine. But he's like, oh, I'm going to. And he's like a fucking smokes like two packs a day easily uh, type guy. Just slugging beers and smoking cigarettes all fucking day long and racing over deadfalls how do you think he keeps fit but like if lewis crude was played by a more competent actor maybe we wouldn't have so much gripe because it is like having a cardboard cut out on a string to follow fred gwynn through the forest yeah and (laughs) that's a kite almost (laughs) (laughs) sometimes he'll sail sometimes he'll fall uh because there are scenes I had said while we're watching it, you know, having this actor with other better actors in the frame, especially Fred Gwynn, because he is a, a impeccable choice for this role and a great actor and delivers everything just beautifully. Mm-hmm. Having him in the same scenes as that doesn't seem as painful, but having him in the scenes that the Victor Pascoe actor and because neither of them are good actors mm-hmm. they're very much soap opera type actors mm-hmm. that are reading their lines off the palm of their hand and saying them to you yeah the the it's just it's not a lot of truth in in a, a lot of what they're saying and uh you know i don't hate their performances it can be distracting but i like i said i'm just so enamored with the story that i give a lot of things that i normally don't give a pass to a pass because if it's not we were a- to believe that this is out of respect for the elders sort of feeling is why Lewis Creed isn't saying, yo, Judd, why are we walking so far? Like, like what the actual fuck are we doing? You gotta oh, give him some, some respectful looks. Yeah. But after the... And, and even by the time he's buried the cat, they've come back down. And it, it, uh, Lewis is about to call his family because they're off uh, in Chicago. Just as a check-in. Judd says... No, you don't say anything about what we did tonight. And he's like, what did we do tonight? What we did is a secret thing. Yeah. Yeah, mostly women are better at keeping secrets, so they say. But, you know, men's hearts, never look into them. Estonia. <laughs> that type of shit. Yeah. And when he is, I love that uh, as he's saying that men's hearts are stonier, and shit like that. It is a sentiment repeated, obviously, that Victor um, had uh, said on as he was dying. Perhaps he was already dead and had come back just for that moment. But 
they they fucking cut back to it just in case we don't remember what happened like 20 minutes ago i always like i always just get annoyed with that type of stuff it's annoying and they do it not long after when we're at a funeral and they cut back to judd and lewis standing at the mcmark barrel ground just for a second for no fucking reason it is a highly fucking useless scene and it seems misplaced and it's just wrong Mm. it's just absolutely wrong but yeah so this is not even really an answer (laughs) No, it's not an answer, but on cue, Ellie calls and says, hey, Dad, how's my cat? Yeah, and she is really, I'm just like, this girl and this fucking cat. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I guess when you're a little kid, you don't really know what to talk to your father about. I guess the answer is like, how is the cat? Does the cat miss me? I mean, she must intrinsically know that the cat can't speak or express that at all. But, but at this point, we're to believe that Ellie's psychic, right? So Ellie knows the cat's dead. She has an awful thought about them every time that they're going to leave. She believes that something is always kind of going to go wrong. Not until after uh, Lewis's son dies does she really, like, she's, like, full-on having night terrors about all of this shit. But good news. Church is fine. Sort of. Yeah. He has a little bit of garbage bag stuck in his whiskers. Got a little bit of garbage bag in his whiskers. Smells funny. Smells a little bit like the fucking dirt that he crawled out from under. But he seems fine. A little. To everybody else except Lewis. You had pointed this out. The only person he's fucking mean to is Lewis, which makes sense. I'd be pissed too. Mm-hmm. I was. He, the cat was dead. The cat was happily dead. And this fucking asshole to save a little bit of face in the face of his fucking wife that is buries him in a pet cemetery well not the pet cemetery as you've pointed out the micmac resurrection ground Mm -hmm. so yeah across the cat's pissed yeah why did you bring me back to this life of pain yeah who knows how how it feels because there is so what exactly are these things when they've come back they seem to have intelligence they seem to be mobile but they do they have vitals do they uh, would they appear as alive physically aside from they can move and they blink and they can speak are their hearts beating do they breathe church seems to like Food. We haven't done a full workup on them yet, Wes. So we'll get back to you when we have the clinical. I, I, I suppose what I'm getting at is, for all we know, this is return of the living dead mentality, and this thing is in fucking excruciating pain. Yes. We don't know what it's like to be dead and to be brought back. Who knows? It seems that whatever, it seems that they are alive, but whatever spike, a, a spike, whatever spark of whatever we'll call it, goodness or a soul or whatever energy of belonging they are now more of a malevolent presence the only reason i can see for this um resurrection ground aside from that it was used for proper reasons and the ground went sour and became evil mm-hmm. as judd explains it if i were a Mi'kmaq chief i would be like i'm going to bury all of my biggest warriors in there when they die and then they'll come back as a race of super warriors so they'll be super malevolent they'll grab weapons and they'll just fucking kill everybody if i just turn them and point them in a direction they'll go and kill that way 
Mm-hmm. To get something against your enemies, right? There's an idea. That's the only use I can see for these sort of revenants, these sort of zombies that it's creating. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it just comes back and turns on whoever put it there. Like, mm-hmm. shouldn't that be the footnote to all of this? It really should be, especially uh, when when uh, they're at Missy's funeral because Missy does end up hanging herself uh, out of misery, I guess. I guess so. When Lewis is home, I guess this is a way, like, I wasn't lucky enough to marry a doctor and oh. you were, so I'm going to piss on your shoes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Judd says, y'all cat now. Like, it's like very specifically when Lewis tries to say, well, that's my daughter's cat. It's not my cat. It's like, no, it's yours. Um, you bury your own. You brought the cat back. This cat belongs to you things you own come back to you uh that is one of the the prophetic things that are said uh, by judd at least and that's what this is and and (laughs) church is such a fucking dick the bathtub rat scene yeah you see you're wondering how how church feels about this this is how church feels yeah it's like church is just like yeah there's a fucking rat in your bathwater, motherfucker. Yeah. And then he's just like, get out of here. And, the and basically, Trish is like, Meh, out the fucking door. Scratches him at every opportunity. But everyone else, when when uh, everyone inevitably comes home, the cat is gentle, like, sleeps on them, like sleeps on Denise Crosby, still good with Ellie. Now, Ellie is, 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 is the cat smells. Can you give a a cat a, a bath and fucking their mother's just like oh gotta take that to a specialist and that's probably really expensive to get a cat shampooed i'm like just put it in the tub with an inch of water which in is it. what they must do because they stop complaining about the stink of the cat and the cat looks quite a bit more cleaned up because he was still looking a little frostbitten a little mangy yeah grave yeah dirt and all. especially since he was such a beautiful impeccable like velveteen looking cat yeah. before and and then it was, i was like oh you had to like mange up this cat a little bit and stuff like that they do a really cool uh reflecting technique with his eyes kind of so, cool except that it's not always explained so i'm like who's shining a cat a light in the cat's eyes he's just an evil cat ah but yeah so they're they're getting back to like some semblance of a normal family i suppose even though they don't seem to really talk to one another very much except about death um missy hangs herself the mom has a hard time with all of this because she just hates talk of death mm. so Ellie, the little girl, has all kinds of questions about death, especially because someone just hung themselves in the fucking basement. Mom doesn't want to talk about it. She's just getting more and more uptight as days go by. I think, which is saying something, because she seems like a a, a woman who came wound up. Yeah, exactly. Uh it seems that when someone commits suicide in your basement, now is the perfect opportunity to really talk about death so your children, at least your eldest daughter, can really understand. Your son, he's two. Like, yeah, he doesn't know. He doesn't care. It's like he's not going to fucking fine. remember this at all. Which is helpful because this kid is actually about two, and some of the things that they have this kid do aren't going to scar him for life. Yeah. Or at least we hope. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? You'd be forgiven for, uh, for I guess, them not wanting to talk about things, I, I suppose, because, they, like you said, they just seem like a family that doesn't really talk about anything and it definitely seems to be denise crosby's thing where she's like i don't want to talk about this shit until she finally opens up uh to her husband which seems appropriate about her sister zelda Mm -hmm. zelda who freaks people out who read the book the 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 zelda portions in the book are 
very well written and, and extremely scarring. They really are and touching and very sad. Uh, and in the film, it accomplishes the same thing in being visually jarring because mm. she does look quite realistically emaciated and witch-like and scary. Mm-hmm. And we get the first introduction to Zelda, which is uh, closest to reality, probably. A little girl is left home with her sickly sister who has spinal meningitis and is on her deathbed for all intents and purposes, happens to pass away, is convulsing in the night, and the little girl, little Rachel, thinks that, oh, she's choking, and now if she chokes to death, people are going to think I choked her to death. So she runs out of the house screaming, and her sister Zelda does pass away from the illness. This is a fascinating inclusion to this story, fascinating in the book and also fascinating in the film. And it's something that people really don't like talking about, that feeling that you get where you do think people are better off dead. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to be, this is what um, Rachel is dealing with. She is dealing with this immense guilt that she feels because she was this dirty secret. Now, listen, her family was well off, but I don't even think that that really would have to be a factor. In fact, it probably would have been worse if they were poor because they would not have the facilities or the means to really hide this person away. This person would be someone's, someone would have had to have quit their job. Someone would have had to have done something. You can't just give this to servants and give this to your daughter and put her into a room in the back of the, of your big mansion and try to forget about her. Um, which is what they did try to do. She felt that they were, she was this dirty secret that they tried to get rid of and they were secretly hoping that they would die. And when she does happen to pass, you, she had this moment where people thought she was crying, but she was just so elated. They were free. They were free of this burden. And the flip side of that is that all of her life until now, even, all she can think of, she'll wake up thinking, is Zelda dead yet? Because yeah. that was what was on the minds of every family member, whether they were speaking about it or not, mm-hmm. all her childhood until Zelda died. And then everyone experiences that relief and she experienced that twisted relief, also coupled with the fear that someone would look at her as if she had killed her sister, mm-hmm. which she must feel tremendous guilt, not just for that night alone, but the years spent with this ill sibling in the house. And then... To not be able to shake that, not be able to let go. It's not a wonder she doesn't like talking about death, but this is a girl that needs desperately to talk openly and often about death. Mm-hmm. Cause it is totally suffocating her. It is suffocating her. It's, it's stunted her as, as an adult and is affecting her as a mother. And, and whether she means to or not, cause I don't doubt that she, uh, loves her children and and that and that she uh, you know is is a good mother in many aspects but in this this idea of shielding her children from uh the ever increase increasing uh the encroaching death that this darkness that visiting this pet cemetery has brought onto this family they are it is like death is closing in around them they cannot avoid the subject anymore it gets almost the more they try to repress things the more death shows up first it's just a cat you can't deal with that we'll give you a person a person you're not connected to how about someone you're deeply connected to 
Because the way to deal with the death of Missy is to go on a nice family picnic, is it not? Not even go on it. Fuck going. We have a beautiful house. We'll just go in the side yard. They just go in the side yard. Judd's there. Judd's there. It's a nice little day. They're flying a kite. Flying a kite. Uh, yeah. There's a pastime for you. Is this what you're going to do when you're on your porch? Being being old man neighbor friend? Yeah, basically. I'm just going to... I won't fly the kite because something about a, a grown man flying a kite, a little un, uh, unsettling. Yeah. But I will have the kite in my... In my house, re- ready to go. For neighborhood children, For and neighbor- that's not creepy. Oh, shit. That's even worse. It is way worse, <laughs> People man. coming to my house, like, hey, what's what are all these toys for? Oh, that's for the neighborhood children. Give them something to play with when they're over. <laughs> oh, my God. And then the, you have to take up smoking, because that's when you light a cigarette to punctuate a sentence. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. But, yeah, they're having, like, a family day, hanging out, chilling, you know, enjoying their property, I suppose. And the huge trucks roaring by while they're trying to enjoy this picnic. I think everybody's slammer drunk. <laughs> Doesn't his sister call him, like, a dumb shit or something? <laughs> yeah. The little, like, eight-year-old girl calls it the three-year-old boy a dumb shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> he great. drops them. And all the parents laugh. And even Judd's laughing, but he's he's obviously drunk. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they've—they're definitely fucking sauced, drinking their fucking mimosas or whatever. Rich people uh, who've decided to go out to Maine. I think the idea is that they're supposed to be just so happy and high on life, right? That they're oh, all God. just goofing around. It's—it's it, it's an idyllic day. This is what we moved out here for. This is the lifestyle that us city folk don't get: sunshine, rolling fields, kites, fucking. 25 ton trucks uh-oh yeah the scene in the book is a lot more tense because there's a lot more build-up between gage who's chasing the kite that has that he's he's let go of the spool of of string that's tethering the kite to the ground and it's bumping along the grass and he's running after it because he's a little kid and the father's running after gage because gage is running out into the path of an 18 wheeler that doesn't see him and it's way more tense in the book. And I also think it's way more tense because it seems so much more realistic, whether you're a parent or not. Chasing a little kid, there's a line in there about he just hopes that, like any other time that a three-year-old is running, they're going to fall down. That's what they do. Three-year-olds fall down when they run. Just fall. So it's not only, I got to run and save this kid. He's thinking, just fall. Just fall. Like they always do. You can sit in any park and watch a three-year-old run. They'll fall. Oh yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, especially but, uh, we we get a we get a fall out of uh, out of him at the towards the end of the movie where I'm like, that's how a fucking toddler falls. Exactly, and he bumps into things earlier too. So we know he's not the most sure-footed toddler, like any fucking toddler. My sister, when she was raising children, younger children, had said one day her words of wisdom were. Three-year-olds are just like drunk people. They're yeah. super emotional. They're unbelievably loud. They sleep all the fucking time. They want food, then they don't want food. They barf. They fucking do all. <laughs> think of think of someone you've seen the most hammered all the time, and that is a three-year-old, just yeah. fucking wasted. Just just their fucking brain trying to send signals to their body, and they just can't fucking do it. Yeah, it's great fumbling stuff can't talk straight yeah it's the the super emotional and laughing inappropriately which is the best part in her to hear her tell it but yeah the scene in the book is so much more heart-wrenching even for somebody who doesn't have those like mother instincts or it isn't a father and doesn't 
you know, it, it will touch you because it's just that wanting to save this kid and also just hoping like whether I can catch up to the kid or not, just fall, just do what kids do. But nah, he runs right in front of the truck and yeah, smush. sure-footed as a mountain goat, sure-footed as a Judd in the woods. As a Judd in the woods, that's what I'm gonna, that's my new saying now. Yeah, sure-footed as a Judd in the woods, but Judd feels pretty fucking bad about all this. Man, does he ever. Now, I love the uh, earnestness of this scene uh, coming coming in behind, coming in behind Lewis, who's just doing his fucking speed James Bond run. Uh, fucking like Fred Gwynn is back there. His his arms are. He runs like Grover. Holy shit. He's um he's got such a long face. And, and he's got such long, gangly arms. He just looks like a fucking big ape man to me. Yeah. Just like yeah. fucking like Legend of Boggy Creek style, just waving his fucking arms. Yeah. J- just in pure panic, just hollering. And, and it's crazy, probably due to the characters, you know, he's always keeping an eye on that road. That's the thing. The, the, like well, mom and dad, they're they, they still. It's not in their. They're new. In, they're yeah, new. They're new, but, and they're probably all high on life or drunk, which I can't. Yeah, tell. but he's the first one to be as like, don't watch the road. Like he's fucking up. But I mean, he's an old man, so like he's not gonna be able to get there too fast. It's crazy to me that you also not only did the kid not fall, but it's like, how did he get so far away? You can cover so much more distance and a stride than a three-year-old can. You could catch up to that person, but there, it doesn't really matter. The point is, is this kid gets fucking smucked by this car. And honestly, or truck as a car, honestly, the size of this child versus this fucking vehicle, I'm surprised that there was anything left to bury. Like, surprised that there was anything left to bury in a way. Um or that, like, the driver even noticed. Because the truck is going so fast, it's so big. If it's full of fuel, it's, like, so heavy. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Either way, there was something left to bury. And they have a lovely service where everyone behaves themselves. And it is, you know, it's great because they get to talk about death. And everyone is better for it at the end. And Lewis, having seen what he saw with Church, decides, you know, sometimes dead is better. <sighs> no. No, no, no. I, t- I told you not to go to the bathroom midway through the movie. Oh. <laughs> you wrote your own happy ending. Yeah, I did. No, so <laughs> this is this is a buck wild funeral. It is the best funeral ever. This is this is a moment in which uh somebody who so uh Rachel's father has never liked Lewis. Why? is not explained here in the film. Because uh, you would think, oh, what's the matter with him? He, she married like a handsome doctor. It's sort of like the reaction of a family of doctors having someone marry a garbage man. That's what it felt like. Yeah, I was like, oh, this man's station in life is not what we would prefer. I told my daughter years ago that we'd be burying your fucking son. Like, that's how he's... Yeah, which is crazy. It's, it's, I think it's only because he's a GP and he's not like a brain surgeon. Or oh, maybe. He hasn't maybe. rested on his laurels in some university. That's why they don't like him. For whatever reason. It doesn't really matter. The emotions are high. A fucking... Like, punches are fucking thrown. He starts kicking Lewis on the ground for crying out loud. Yeah. And then in the struggle, that tiny little coffin 
fucking tumbles. Rachel is screeching. People are just fucking screeching. I really like the choice here where all we get to see, you know, the, the, the casket does pop open and shut again and we see his little hand. There's nothing like really more to see than that, but it's just sad and disturbing enough that they've upset the coffin at the funeral. It's, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those fucking tense things, isn't it though? Mm -hmm. About a funeral. I've been a, 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 a pallbearer two different times in my life. Of two things that I always, I am fucking terrified of dropping the casket. That is what, like, a casket toppling over and a body spilling out. I just want everyone cremated. Just, can we not with the bodies? Yeah. People, yeah. like, it's just such a big fucking heavy ordeal. And I remember uh, in my my uh, paternal grandmother's funeral, uh, being one of the people carrying the casket, and it was, I can't remember if it was, early spring or early winter but the point was was the ground the grass had ice on it it was slick you're wearing fucking dress shoes oh god like you you know and and i'm and i'm just i am staring daggers at the ground willing every bit of energy that i have to like magically like Sure-footed like, as a Judd in the woods. Yeah, I want to be as sure-footed as a Judd in the woods. Like I, I am trying to just like, um, like, put it on my fucking vision board that my feet are Velcro right now, and this is Velcro, and I'm, I'm so fucking stuck to the ground. Like I am not going to slip at all. What's a vision board? Vision board is this Malcolm Gladwell bullshit in which anything that you would want to want for yourself you write it on a board and you stare at it every day and it's supposed to magically manifest things it's what lazy people do to inspire themselves yeah, yeah, yeah. i had one of those ones got nothing done <laughs> took it down <laughs> anyways so so this idea of a casket it, 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 the idea of falling in a in during a, str a fucking physical fight in a funeral there is nothing that i can imagine is more mortifying for like seeing a bride on the toilet <laughs> exactly um it, it just is it, it is ironically the most cringe worthy worthy scene for me in this film because it's just my waspiness comes out and i'm just like get a hold oh, of yourself i never yeah. <laughs> my opera glasses just like drop um <laughs> and even there's a there's a random character who we don't ever see before and we never see again. It's like it's your son's funeral, as if he's the one. Okay, he's obviously enraged that this man, his his uh, uh, stepfather, shouts at him. I hope you rot in hell. I'm gonna punch you and kick you, you son of a bitch. I'd be like, let him go. Just let it happen, I guess. This is just tearing this like of a of a day that it is going to tear a family apart, anyways. Yeah, he, it doesn't. You know, he apologizes at the airport. It's all uh, good. I guess them, this guy behaves he, like this he, all fucking time. That was a noodle finger handshake. He was not. He's not fucking. Would you want to touch that fucking creep? Like, no, you know, and he's and, he's an asshole, and he's and, always going to be an asshole. And I guess that just gives a lot of weight to the idea that you marry your spouse and not their family. It's but. fucking crazy. I don't know how you could ever come back from that. Like the, in in terms of just when you watch characters perform and and you look at a, an aspect of a story and you say 
unequivocally, what an unforgivable act. I could never sit with someone who just like, hey, remember that time you cold cocked me at my son's funeral? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Another beer? Yeah, That's fucking, the- I would never want to see that person ever again. No, exactly. And, and, and like, I would highly consider divorce if, if I was married to someone who didn't agree with me. And it's that Rachel decides to go stay with her parents for a little while. Yeah, I was like, stay with your parents? What the fuck are you talking about? Well, he's supposed to join them out there. But, you know, I guess it's all that I was upset. It was my grandson's funeral, too, you know. So Yeah, as I, as I, I understand it was your son's funeral, but it was my grandson's funeral. Think about that. Some people behave like that. It's they, very Jerry Springer. It's very fodder. Jerry Springer. But he says, he says something. It's a, it's a pithy thing to say. But sometimes people try to make meaning uh, meaning out of the meaningless of life, meaninglessness of life. Uh, if good can come of anything, which to me is always a sad grasp at a straw, yeah. because there's no good to random acts. Like life is random. We're all here by accident, and sorry, things happen. Good things happen. Bad things happen. If but it's like we can maybe build some bridges, mend mend our family. We'll we'll rally around the death of of the son. Oh, he's got other ideas too. Oh, Judd sees right through that. He comes stomping up them backstop like, "Don't you dare, Lewis Creed! I see that look in your eye. I know what you're doing. You know when I said that they never buried anyone back there. I lied. I love this sequence so fucking much. This is my favorite. And we were having a, we were having some uh, catus interruptus while we were working recording. Yeah. And and thankfully, I was like that. If that cat meows through this scene, I'm gonna fucking. We're going to need a pet cemetery. Mr. Meow was threatened with a pet cemetery uh, many times today. Um, he was walking around meowing basically for all of it, except for through this scene uh, where we get to see B- uh, the Baderman family. Uh, young Timmy Baderman gets buried by his father in the Micmac Resurrection Ground. Yeah, this was just after the war, so it's cool. This is a nice look to it. I like this idea of this, like insane resurrected guy in this world war two uh outfit eating a child's leg it looks like so i mean it's it's cannibalism seems to come from this or or just like a a voraciousness that cannot be quenched by anything but raw meat and people are nothing if not raw meat Mm -hmm. so uh well judd was involved in this too i gotta cleanse it women knew what had to be done gather up that menfolk I think that Timmy was yelling at his father, I don't want to be alive, wasn't he, throughout yeah. all of this? Yeah. So there, that helps solve the, the mystery about how these resurrected people feel about it. Mm-hmm. How does Church feel about it? Dead rat in the tub. How does Timmy Baderman feel about it? I want to die. Yeah. And not only that, but he wanted to punish his father for bringing him up because he specifically does not let him leave this house as the 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 boys douse it with gasoline. Now, Judd does try to... Oh, hold on a minute here. Hold on a minute. But I mean, the guy is already fucking half up in flames at this point. Yeah. So that's what happens when you bury a person out there. Don't do it. Okay, says Lewis Creed, and he goes back to doctoring. Yeah, he's like credits, I suppose. Yeah. Now, um, this is a very touching scene. The reason why I love this is because this scene is really an opportunity for, for people to sort of sit back and let Fred Gwynn act. Uh, which is always nice. And it's just, it's two guys. It's a fucking sitting, having some beers and, and, and him blaming himself for what happened to his son because, and this is the first time that someone really vocalizes these dark spirits. Uh, 
this sour earth, which is really this sort of malevolent force, um, this idea that they, they, you have taken, they allowed, they allowed Cage to die. They wanted it to happen. And, and it all happened because he brought them there. And then they resurrected church. And so they're taking another life for a life, basically. Uh, that's the sick punishment of this. People will continue to die. Um, either the people that bring the person back or other people around that person. They will die when these people are brought back. That is the cost of bringing someone back from the dead, not letting souls rest, is that you get more death, more violence, uh, more bad luck uh, surrounding you. And it's just a fucking marvelous scene. I love it to death. And uh, I'm always sad when it's over. And I'm always sad that Lewis doesn't listen. But this is a person who cannot let go. And I don't know if it's just because... Because he didn't seem anything but detached when a patient died in front of him. Mm-hmm. He Even with church, it was more about... He grabs a dead cat with his bare hands and shoves it in a garbage bag. Yeah, and it's like, this is just what you do. He is not like, ooh, the cat. He did not like the cat. He very he vocalized several times, this is my daughter's cat. I'm like, yeah. that's weird. It's like, it's like, your daughter didn't buy this cat. You bought the cat. Like, <laughs> yeah, I never thought about it that way. But yeah, he doesn't like the cat. He doesn't, but he doesn't, he's, not, he's, he's not his wife. His wife is the one with the trouble with that. His but, wife is the one who has a problem letting go. Yeah. But it lets it haunt her. So now he's just kind of sponged up some of that? It, it, I guess it is because it would make more sense. He doesn't seem to be, like, yes, he seems, he, he's a good father. Yeah, he he's interacts a good father. with the son. But he's not, like, you know, overly attached to his son. He doesn't seem overly attached to anyone. And I blame just the skill. Of the particular actor, unfortunately, but, for us not feeling any of that. Yeah, because if anything, um, Denise Crosby's character, Rachel, she has a reason, I feel, to not want to let someone die because in her mind, she let her sister Zelda die. Yeah, so when anyone dies, it's her fault and they're not they're gonna be with her and, and their ghosts haunt her directly in her head and people will blame her yes. for the death and certainly what mother what family their three-year-old son playing out in the road yeah what did so you she'll, think she'll get some of that eventually but for now she's long out on volume and doesn't yeah. matter there's there's an interesting scene right here uh sorry we we're kind of skipping around but i wanted to go back to this specifically because we talked about uh Judd punctuating a, 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 a scene by lighting a cigarette when he was trying to explain to Rachel, this adult woman, why a pet cemetery would be a happy place, a good thing. Um, and then he has to go into when she says why in this shocked, like, I can't even believe what you're saying attitude. He just lights a cigarette, doesn't answer her, but then proceeds to explain to a child yeah. why this is a happy place. And obviously loud enough so she could hear almost as if he's explaining it to her as she is a child, but I can't talk to you like a child. I'll talk to the child because she is a child like she's a child, but this is also for you because you have a very stunted idea in his opinion. Cause he's an old man of the, of the, of the land. He has another scene trying to explain 
you, you know, because this is an old guy. A lot of people in his life have died. His wife, probably friends, family. He's probably the last one left of, of all these people that he knew, old timer. It's like they let a woman like Missy die with a lot of years left in front of her. An old fart like him just keeps on going. That's his attitude. He explains this again to Ellie like a child holding the picture and, and trying to make her understand that God's not bringing your brother back and you can want that all you want, but it's not really going to happen. We as Lewis kind of like cuts her off sternly and then she goes off and uh, cries and his only advice to her is like, you just take care of that little girl. She needs you right now. And, and, uh, and, and again, talking, to, trying to impart wisdom to these people about how you can't just wallow in the fact that your son just died because your wife's son died and your little girl's brother just died and everyone's upset and you need to be the stony hearted man that rises above this. And all of this great advice, all of these great stories, everything that Jed tries to do up to and including trying to take the blame for what happened. Lewis just not having any of it. He's just like, no, I'm going to go and dig up my son. And don't worry, because if it fucks up, well, I'll just kill him again before everyone gets home. And he has a very doctorly way of doing that with a few syringes of, I don't know what, potassium chloride or something. I, I was curious thing. about that. Like, I'm is it guessing. some it's night-night gas they're going out or, or, or juice? They're, it's night-night juice. Night-night juice. They're just done. Yeah, and it seems to work pretty well on the cat. We see that in a bit. But Judd is... He he's he sees right through all of this, so he's going to get on a vigil. You know, if Lewis Creed leaves that house, I'm going to see it and I'm going to stop him. So I'm going to sit on my porch directly across. I got my eyes, eyes. I'm doing the eyes thing with the forked fingers. You know, like I'm eyes on you. I'm sitting here, right here, perfect spot. Got my beer, got my sleeping chair. Where I'm going to just conk out. Good fucking God. He tries. He's like, I, I love that he is really talking to himself up to. He's like, I got to fix what I'm, what I, like, I got to make right what I did wrong. And sitting there lighting his cigarette. Just fall. He's old. He's old. He, That's the only explanation I got. Yes, you know, he's old. And, or and he the had, burial ground, put him to sleep. Didn't want him to stop. It's him. possible. And and not only that, but he did. His his vigil was a six-pack of beer and smokes and a, and a ZZ chair. I don't know <laughs> if that is. I know. It should have been a couple of cans of Monster and a mousetrap on each finger. I don't fucking know. Yeah, or stand. Just stand. Oh, or go. Stand. It's hard. Go yo. over there. Go over there. He could have went over there. Oh, my shit. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> What if you got hit by a transport, though? That's no good. No one wants that. I'm going to sit in my easy chair, drink a six-pack beer, and let cigarettes burn down to my stubby fingers. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He falls asleep, but he tries. His heart was in the right place. He really does. Now, their daughter is having these nightmares now, and she's had one before they left, and now she's had one once they're in Chicago. And she is verbalizing that something is going to happen to Daddy and... Someone told him this pas- Pascal? Paxcow. Paxcow. Paxcow, which is adorable. Uh, yeah, she's having weird, prophetic, you know, dreams of what's going on miles away. Uh, apparently, in the book, this has had run in the mom's side of the family. People had had visions like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she doesn't take it very lightly when... Her daughter starts dreaming of what's going on and saying, like, having these ominous dreams. Mm -hmm. And she puts two and two together that it's actually the runner 
that her husband had had die on his table his first day mm-hmm. working there that is visiting her that is this uh benevolent ghost that is imparting this wisdom in mm-hmm. words that the kid doesn't even know or to pronounce which mm-hmm. is kind of an interesting way to articulate to the adults that this is stuff the kid is being told by this adult ghost because the kid doesn't even understand the words but then kids have big ears and pick up stuff all over like nuts cut she learned that from Missy. Missy said nuts cut. And probably dumb shit. <laughs> dumb, sh- yeah. D- dumb shit is my fucking... This is a kid that picks up words from the TV, who knows where. But either way... It's very funny. My favorite scene with this kid... There's a lot of scenes I don't like because she's a very whiny, whiny kid. Played by twins, so who knows? Yeah, they're probably both whiny. But she does, when she wants to talk to her dad at one point, she walks in the living room, grabs a remote, turns off the TV, and turns her dad to say what she wants to say. Best kid ever. More kids should do that. Yeah, I need your undivided attention. This is going off. Yeah. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. I, there are definitely scenes that grate on me too, but I mean, in the scenes where she needs to impart the information, it's fine. Like, like I, I, I don't, I don't really mind it so much, but I do enjoy this sequence with uh, Pascal and um, Rachel because she. This is not. He is not appearing to her the way that he appears to Lewis. Lewis sees him. By the way, Whoopi Goldberg sees what's his face in that dumbass movie Ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking uh, was it uh, Patrick Swayze? Yeah, or like that little kid in the Sixth Sense. Yeah, and talk with Bruce Willis. Yeah, just exactly. sees him, hangs out. They're like pals. They are pals. They are pals. Yeah, he does see dead people all the time. Now. He, she he sees him and all the ghosts that go that's the fucking he's the little kid from the sixth sense rachel seems to have these thoughts that encroach in the back of her mind that almost come almost come to her as intuition or realization uh you know how to pronounce this guy's name he says it and then she's like oh i bet you he meant she meant this and then she has this realization that she thinks is her own, but it's really his influence. Because we get to see him standing right there. Standing he right walks there. through, he's see-through. He's obviously a ghost. He's floating around very ghostly, like, we know he's a ghost. But yeah. she doesn't see him, even though she, at times, almost interacts with mm-hmm. him, but not really. And it's kind of funny. It's kind of cheeky. It's kind of cheeky. It's for a while. I, I like the sequence in which she's trying to rent a car, and then he is like, we don't have anything available. And then he chimes up, well, what about this one with a scratch on it? And then the clerk, she goes, oh, well, we have this one with a scratch on it. I like that he holds the door for her, and the airplane like whoa the plane's taken off and 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 again it's just his motivation is for them to not use the pet cemetery he could not stop lewis from resurrecting church that has happened it's done but he can sure as hell try to stop lewis from resurrecting his fucking child i think i'd like to envision that there's like this coalition or union of good ghosts on the other side so when he died they were like whoa hey dude you know that guy that just like that doctor there you mm-hmm. need to go back because we've all been watching and he's like doing this and they're gonna resurrect people and it's all bad it's bad for business bad for the union of solidarity you gotta go in there and you gotta do the good ghost thing Mm. And he's like, I just got here. I just got here. I was like, now I have a joke. I've I've like to do jokes now. Yeah, and 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 help out people. Jokes, pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, um, he does help her out to a certain extent, and even departs like in a, in a ghostly fashion with with more conversation between her and the guy that she had to get a lift from because she crashes a stinking K car. He 
explains that like the evil spirits don't want you to go there. They're trying to stop you. Mm. They're trying to let him bury Gage. And what you need to do is figure out a way, like by flagging down this passing trucker. It's one of those Orenco trucks. I'm surprised that she has the guts to get into it. This is the same truck that probably smoked her son. Yeah, they just flip the back over. Yeah. Spray the blood off with a hose and off we go. Like the Greyhound bus that the guy was decapitated in. Yeah. So she gets there in the nick of time. Yeah. To get nicked. <laughs> Basically. It's very funny. Well, not before. You know, Judd might have passed out with his six pack of beer. But... Lewis, after going and doing things of which we shall not speak, putting his son in this Micmac burial ground, and he goes home and passes out himself. So now you got a sleeping Judd and a sleeping Lewis. He's he, he's done a lot of digging. He's he, done a lot. Of he digging. had to dig a proper. He had to dig up his son's proper grave. That's what six feet. Yeah, six feet of fucking earth. Move the coffin. Coffins weigh shit. Even if it's a coffin of a child, he had to sit there and cradle his son's corpse for a little bit. That's tiring. And then walk forty five minutes through the bush with a corpse. Yeah, walk with a corpse and digging tools. Dig another fucking grave and then walk all the way back. That is a long fucking night and i bet you he is just sick to death of fucking burying people no wonder he sleeps through all the commotion that undoubtedly would have rang out from across the road because gage comes back yeah and gets into his father's medical kit which Mm -hmm. is sort of a neat thing because that's probably something like if someone has a gun in the house the kids can't play with the gun Mm -hmm. if dad's a doctor and he has like scobbles if dad's a chef Mm -hmm. or mom's a chef and you have like sharp objects or things like that. Or mom is a fucking court reporter and she mm-hmm. might have, or like an investigative journalist or a, a police detective and might have pictures of dead bodies in her briefcase. The kids aren't allowed to look into that stuff. So Gage goes immediately as an undead ghoul. He's just like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go rummage through dad's shit. Oh, it's scalpel. The thing I'm never, ever, ever, ever allowed to touch. Who's going to stop me now? So, Nobody. Yeah. I don't. I, I feel that this scalpel is definitely something that Lewis probably got when he graduated. Like it was like this. This scalpel belonged to your father, and it always gave him luck. That's I think. Could be because I don't they come out of a little like disposable plastic. Yeah. This one. This one like, isn't like a velvet case. Yeah. Like it's a fucking. All like, the scalpels I've seen are like a dime a dozen. Yeah, you just you pull out uh, the scalpel from those little tear bags, and then you use the scalpel, and then you are supposed to just fucking dispose of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that is the situation there. And, well, now we have a little child, like a fucking living good guy doll. He is so much like a Chucky. And from the get-go, he's a pretty adorable-looking kid, probably because he doesn't really cry much. He doesn't have many lines. You know, I dig this. I dig this kid as far as kid actors go. But... Now he's got some of the coolest lines. He does. And he's got a cool scar down his face. Uh, they do a wonderful job. Uh, this is the mixture of puppetry and getting the kid. Uh, apparently the kid was very game to do the stuff that they were doing. They they all did it in its play. So that's how they imparted. He was so young at the time. But he learned action and he learned cut and he learned how to stay on his marks. And, and then you said... Put that strawberry jam on your mouth and go zerbert him in the throat. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's all it looks like he's doing when you think about it out of the context. And that, of and that is what it, that's is what it is. Like yeah. it was the biting was supposed to be a game. It's like you go and pretend to bite 
Fred and it's not real and you don't bite him for real because that will hurt and that's bad but you just pretend and then you just pretend to bite and then you pull away and then you give him you have a puppet head and you pull the puppet head away and well he could have even hand a kid a scalpel and be like you're a wizard with a wand mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and just capture a bit of that on film and you've got his menacing now make a mean face you know yeah a lot of close-up tight shots of the face looking mean and stuff like that you have a lot of him delivering his dialogue and his love play acting and especially you can get some pretty macabre shit out of a kid Mm -hmm. and if you're sandwiching it with like you know you're a happy clown now you're a scary evil magician you know back and forth they like kids love that stuff oh yeah he does a great job with it Mm -hmm. i really like these sequences and so you ask yourself how dangerous how dangerous is a three-year-old with a scalpel actually let's be real here he's a little i mean judd's a big man well you use uh chucky logic or puppet master logic i was gonna say you you're you're a puppet master fan i know you know the answer to your own questions yeah it's like you attack the achilles tendon and you get them down on your level yeah you get them down on your level fast and then all of a sudden there's they are helpless and 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 uh, and I like that uh, church now is in cahoots. And even from the minute Gage walks up with his muddy little boots from fresh from the cemetery, from whence he had to claw his way out of, uh, probably that's probably the first thing that these ghouls are mad about. They're like, but, really? Yeah. You went home and went to bed. I, I gotta claw myself out of this. Yeah. You could have at least waited with a shovel, Jesus. But anyway, um, so. Right away, Church just falls in line. He's like, oh, you're back, Gage. Cool, I'll be with you. I'm your cat now. You know, that sort of feeling. Because he watches him. He hangs out with him. He helps, sort of. Distracts Judd, for sure. Because Judd knows. This is not one of those situations where Judd does not know what has fucking happened. He fell asleep. He sees a little muddy boot prints. He even, like, pulls out a knife. He's like, hey there, Gage. Got something for you. It's like yeah. a fucking knife. It's a great line. I love it. He knows. And Gage is giggling and playing hide and seek. That's yeah. what he wants to play. Um, all of his lines are super creepy. It's really good, like, voiceover. Mm-hmm. I, I, it would have been fun to get these the voiceover. The phone call he places, we're suspending all kinds of logic here. Mm-hmm. That a three-year-old would know his number. I think I knew my number when I was three. To dial I, it, I don't know. I, I probably could have called home. Uh, Gage has his fun. Slicing open Judd's Achilles tendon and attacking his face. Mm-hmm. Going straight for the mouth. He slashes his mouth right in half, basically a big Chelsea grin. Yeah, very cool. And then he bites his throat out. And then that's and then you can see that he like ate part of his bottom jaw later. Yeah, yum yum. Uh I guess these animals like meat, you know. Um Timmy liked to eat that leg he dug up or whatever. Yeah. Church is going for the steak before Lewis stabs him yeah there's that goes the end of church there yeah but like gage for some reason you know they might be really angry when they resurrect but they're also far more eloquent a lot more intelligent and just craftier Mm -hmm. and gage in fact has a bigger vocabulary a bigger vocabulary uh more dexterity than he ever did he seems slightly stronger yeah and uh, maybe it's just more the the power of fury and then also yeah like he's dialing numbers and shit like that there seems to be a a a malevolent darkness to all of this and and up to and up to and including um almost magical elements we'll get to that because while lewis is just sawing logs Rachel shows up, but she is hollered over to Judd's house. Does not go well for her. When she enters this 
bedroom where we know Judd is dead. What does she see? But her twisted, cackling sister Zelda. Yeah. Now, she couldn't have jet lag. It's been a long night. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how... Is it the evil bleeding out from the sour ground that is taking over this house slowly but surely? Because Lewis has a very similar look, too. We almost think we're in a different Stephen King story when he encounters the house. Mm -hmm. It has become a strange hall of mirrors. Yeah. That leads me to ask, is Gage wearing that hat? Uh, No, Gage is not wearing that hat. Uh, Interestingly enough, it's a little... So Gage shows up after the sisters like, yeah, I'm going to like twist your spine and you're going to stay in bed forever. I was like, sounds sweet. Yeah, never get out of bed again. Good. Rachel's terrified. Rachel is terrified. This is one of her nightmares come uh, manifest. But then the cackling turns to giggling because it's Gage. It's and there Gage. there he is. Gage dressed in this little Lord Fauntleroy outfit. And if you're not sure what that reference is, it's a little fancy boy with like a fucking velvet outfit and like ribbons. And he's wearing like a top hat. He looks like the fucking Mad Hatter. He is dressed like a, a, a painting that hung in Rachel's parents house a really fucking weird looking painting yeah i was like oh yeah this is the fucking height of sophistication what a gross fucking painting i feel like when your grand when your grandparents die we're gonna fucking throw that in the garbage oh completely now oh that or maybe you know for the the chintzy look of it put it in the man cave oh my god yeah anyway um so he might have been in his little tux in his funeral, because that's the sort of family that would have put their kid in a tux for their mm-hmm. funeral. He looked like he was wearing like a blue little suit onesie almost. Like it was weird. Like it, I don't know, but I can definitely tell you the top hat and the cane was not happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's adorable though. It is and very cute. Creepy. Um, yeah. So he wants to play with mom. Yeah, and I've he's now he's got something for her. It's the scalpel again. This kid does a lot of damage. And she can't believe her fucking eyes, but she's not going to really believe much else anything because she's going to get fucking murdered. Yeah. Then it's daybreak. We're fine now. When Lewis wakes up, he fucking stumbles out of bed and it seems like like this is like a Tom Hanks movie or something like that. Like we're watching the burbs or something. Like he fucking falls out of the bed like, oh, what's happening? Oh, to be fair, he dug two graves last night. So that's got to tucker anybody out. He sees the muddy footprints. He sees the scalpel is missing. Yeah. I don't know if he's exactly put two and two together, but something's going on. That's for sure. And the footprints lead over to Judd's house. Yeah. Takes care of the cat. Fucking, that's where we see the syringes in action. This is a very good death scene for the kitty. Yeah. Very well acted by our kitty actor. Best cat actor ever. Yeah. Very, very believable. And once... And he seems, like, happy to fucking do it. He hates this fucking cat. And it's definitely... I was like, I can't believe that I was, like, scared to tell my daughter about you. Now I can't wait. To, I was like, I'm, like, I'm going to fucking, like, staple you to the wall and show her. I'm that mad at this fucking cat. His relationship with the cat in the book is so much more better told. Yeah. It really is. And, and you almost start to hate cats <laughs> for this guy's <laughs> sake. But, yeah. Church... Poor church. Poor church. We do more in the loss of church. Oh, we do. Uh, it was a very pretty kitty. Now, he goes into the house. This house got fucking meteor shit all over it. It does. It's the weirdest thing. This is 1408. It looks like all over again. You'd almost yeah. think that if you watch 1408 close enough, do you see Lewis Creed walk in the door? <laughs> like, really? Um, 
There's, yeah, moss and mold and rotten stuff everywhere. Yeah, it's Judd's house as if Judd's house had fallen into a swamp and 30 years later was still there. Uh, But then it all goes back to normal and ha ha ha. Because he finds a shoe. He He finds his wife's shoe. It's a pretty good technique as far as when Gage is ultimately hit by the transport. If anyone hadn't read the book and they have an unanswered question at that exact moment as to what happened to Gage, and then you see that little toddler's shoe bouncing across the asphalt, you know he was definitely hit by this car. Uh, when he finds his wife's shoe on the stair, you know that there's something definitely has happened to her as well. Like, it's, it's not quite a hammer horror moment when her body falls out of the fucking ceiling? Like a I don't know. Or attic? I don't know how um, Gage would have gotten her up there, but that's a question for for other people. We don't need to worry about it. He looks creepy as fuck looking down from there. He seriously does. Holy shit. This is where shit. he probably wins all of the top ten garbage uh, articles written about creepy kids in horror film and he's definitely featured in yeah amy <laughs> wrote a great one too mm-hmm. I, i've read a few of them i'm yeah. not a sucker for clickbait but before <laughs> those became clickbait when there was something of merit to that sort of of thinking and writing before everyone started copy pasting that shit like i would seriously say that your or amy's articles are probably a copy paste it into clickbait now because people just regurgitate your your stuff mm. into clickbaity crap. Yeah, you're it's despicable. You're, it's despicable. Not as despicable as a child like a bullet fucking flying at his father. And this is where we have <laughs> Lewis fighting uh, Gage. It's looks like they're using an actor as some shots, puppets, and another shot. Um, and this kid is just going ape shit on him. It's worse than a cat on someone's face. Yeah. He's got the fucking scalpel. He is gouging him. But then halfway through the fight, Lewis is like, oh yeah, you're a little child. And he just fucking throws the kid across the room. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. Uh, gets out his little syringe and he's not playing fair. Lids. He's not playing fair. That is my favorite scene. After he has pumped his dead son full of whatever it is that's going to kill him again. He just walks away because he knows intrinsically, like, whatever, dad, just pump me full of his killing me. And he said, no fair. It's a good no scene. Um, the, the kids cry as he's getting stuck with the needle is, you know, it's painful for this father to have to do. It'd be painful for anyone to have to kill this child like this, even though he's already dead and he's just killed your wife and he's killed your your old man friend and, and, and all this shit. But it's just, it, they try to pull as much uh, out of this scene about, he had said to himself, well, if, if he comes back wrong, I'll just, I'll just put him back to sleep. I'll just kill him again and, and I'll take care of it. You know, he said that with uh, determination like this is the plan, but not in that moment. He's remembering when his son was alive, this, this vision of life and we're getting some flashbacks. He probably didn't think that his son would fight him so much and it come back wrong. He probably just meant like with a limp or something, not come back and kill two people and come after me. Yeah. Like a fucking banshee. You know, it, it, I don't think he quite envisioned it going that bad, but it's gone quite bad. Um, the kid is super creepy. From the time that he calls Lewis over there on the phone with, I played with Jed, then I played with Mommy, and we had an awful good time, and now I want to play with you. Yeah. Like, that's creepy, but this kid with its feral look crying out because it's being defeated, not because a syringe hurts. Yeah. Like, it's so insanely wrought 
Of course, it can only come from the mind of Stephen King. You know, yeah. the book it's it's told very similarly. This story doesn't change much or deviate from that. Yeah, and then he toddler topples over, and I guess that's the end of it. He goes to sleep. He goes to sleep. The good news here, Lids, and what I like about Lewis the best, is he is a man that learns his lessons. He does learn his lessons, and he listens closely to his elders, because when Judd told him all kinds of stuff, he listened close, like about how you burn the entire house down with all the bodies in it. I like him just dousing Judd's house with gasoline. I was like, yeah, pretty easy when it's not your house, save. Fucker. I know, right? Lucky asshole. But... He also absolutely doesn't bury his wife in the... Oh, yeah, he does. Um, Victor tries to stop him. We had had a conversation about how to... How the book ends via via the film. Yes. And there is a very slight difference. I thought the difference was bigger, but you're right. It is It is minor. And very slight. It's like like 10 seconds. They, they, if they would have stopped the camera 10 seconds earlier, mm-hmm. it would be exact same for the book. True. In the book, for those of you who are curious, by the way, I went to go. My, my memory is a little foggy. I wanted to go back and like read some, some choice bits of the book. I, I lost it on the move, so I don't have my fucking copy of Pet Cemetery anymore. Bummer. But mm-hmm. uh, fortunately, Liddy to the rescue. And we got to... Uh, so what ends up happening in the book? Is Lewis takes his lady to the cemetery. She comes back, but we're waiting and waiting. Now, the difference between this and the film is that she does come back in the the film, but we get, instead of it, darling, and then the book ends, and we don't, maybe she came back, right? Probably not, but who knows maybe open-ended if i'm a positive if i'm a glass half full motherfucker i don't know we hear some gravelly breathing and a not so sure-footed step in the book <laughs> she only had one shoe think about that Liz. yeah i don't know i don't I think i don't think she had shoes at all in the book but um okay she uh probably you can probably smell her before you see her oh yeah. I like my ladies with some fragrance. Yike. Yeah. <laughs> so she comes stumbling in with ooze dripping from her head. Oh my it's God. quite cinematic. It's very cool. I love uh, the makeup effects here. Uh, it's like Half of her face has been fucking eaten off. She looks like uh, like the fucking cover of that Die Die My Darling Misfits thing with the chick with the glass. Like Just half of her face down to the bone. And he just fucking porn kisses her he is just into it which is so crazy i just i don't buy their relationship on the virtue of this film alone book aside um i'm like ew they never kissed before why are they doing this now yikes there's there is a bit of a couple shorthand peppered throughout the film the one scene in particular that i'm thinking of is when they do have a problem with uh, the you know church is gonna go get fixed, and he she makes him do that promise, and he tells her through his clenched teeth like, you know, one in a thousand chance, but he could die, and then that's on you. She comes to him later, and she says, "Hey, Doc, still friends." That's a kind of 
That's a, that. That is kind of like a couple shorthand that I do buy. That it seems I like, don't buy that particular scene. I know the scene you're talking about. That one to me says like, "Hey, audience, I know that we're not going to show these two together, so this is our little scene to make you think that they really do get along because they don't like." I like. I don't know if it's if it's. I get a vibe that, hey, this shows that they get along. I just get a vibe that this conversation, not this particular conversation, but this type of thing happens. And that's kind of her, eh, it's kind of cute, still friends. This is who I am. Um, I mean, it falls flat, unfortunately. It doesn't for me. So, you know, whatever. Uh, But anyway, yeah. So they make out. They make out. And she pulls a gauge and grabs a grown-up scalpel. You normally call that a kitchen knife. Uh, I call it a grown-up scalpel. <laughs> well, fine. Uh, so, credits. Yeah, they they cut to black. He screams. Yeah, but we don't see that it, he she stabs him. But he could be screaming so sadly because he has a syringe in the other hand. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. This th- is probably a suicide mission on his part. I just think he he he's mad. He's just lost it completely. He is given he, over to the evil spirits. Not given over to the evil spirits, but it is he is in a sinkhole and he is trying to climb his way out of it. And the more earth he clutches onto, the more falls underneath his feet, and the more he goes nowhere, expending all of his energy and life and family members trying to fix this fucking mistake. Why did I bring the cat back to life? Like it, it is just it is just compounded yeah. on top of it and almost as if he can get out of this if he just stacks enough fucking bodies underneath of them. And 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 it's it's like it's it's sinkhole, it's quicksand. It's just he's struggling. And so he when she shows up and she verbalizes, darling, fine. We'll put a mask on her. A scarf. <laughs> she loves scarves. Probably it was the eighties and she's businesswoman so scarfs probably yeah so shoulder pads scarfs. so so uh, so I, I i'm i just think that he has just lost it as this is fine this is fucking fine you're standing in a mess you're in a, like a total fucking disaster area and you're just like i'm this is fine let's just sit on the couch and relax that's that's what this is to me it's not like, he knows. He, I think it's a suicide mission because she he he's pretty sure like Gage came back and was going to kill everyone. Church would try his damnedest to crawl down his throat and tear up his innards. His wife is going to just kill him. It'd be a lot easier to explain um, if just Judd had died and he just burned the house down. He's like, fucking fire across the way. Jeez, poor Judd. Yeah. I guess that's, again, it's more fucking death surrounding this family. By the way, a house burns to the fucking ground. No fire trucks, nothing. This fucking mm-hmm. thing is smoldering ash on a property. Trucks just driving by it. This is fucking buck wild. Anyways. Um, so yes, that is that is the end of Pet Cemetery. Uh despite uh flaws in it, I fucking love this movie. I like this movie a lot. Um I, I do want to watch Pet Cemetery 2, which is a way worse movie, but I wanna see Fred Gwynn with the mashed potatoes at the table. It's funny. Well, it's funny. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I really, I love the story and that will forever make this film that much more important to me. Mm. Yeah. What do you got next for him? 
Coming up next is all about another house you move into without seeing it. It is Amityville. Oh, Amityville. Yeah, we are leaving, driving in our big old 18-wheelers past the Stephen King of Palooza 2. We'll be back again next year, just like Santa. And yeah, we're off to Amityville Horror, and and the, I'm excited about this one. Watched this one not too long ago when uh, Margot Kidder passed away. And I had a thought. I even verbalized it. Uh, verbalized it. I wrote it on Instagram. Surprised we've never done this one for Dead Air. I'm surprised too. And there's lots of those little tiny gems. So if there's something that you want to see that we haven't covered yet, let us know on the Twitter and stuff like that. Um, speaking of on the Twitter, if you want a copy of Pray Light Eve 1, I had mentioned this on our last show. I do have codes for a free audiobook for Pray Light Eve 1. And now... I have free codes for Pray Light Eve 2, which just came out this week. That's right. If you guys want to get even further tales of the one toward, yeah. this is your opportunity to get it. You guys had heard on a previous episode, Liz and I had read a small snippet of one of the stories. So now you get a professional reading with cool audio and you guys are going to want to check that out. It's a steal. Uh, definitely do, yeah. And they're both like well priced. So if you already have an audio, an Audible account Audible, of credits, yeah. or want to start one out, then just pick that up. But if you want to review it or something like that, or just really are interested or haven't read any of my stuff before, let me know. I got a free code. I'll I'll set you up. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to thank Books in the Freezer again and Shades of Orange. Rachel from Shades of Orange specifically for requesting my books and talking about them on our shows and. We'll be talking about them more. So if you're a YouTube watching person or a book reader, there are great booktube videos by booktubers like Rachel. And I have a show too called Typical Books, but Rachel's show is way better. And she's Canadian, so I really like to support her. And I've watched her show since its inception, really. So do check out Shades of Orange on YouTube, and she will be talking about Night Face soon enough, and perhaps Prayer Lady 1 and 2, because she wanted to get into more short stories. And Kendall Reviews had uh, an interview with me, and that has garnered a lot of really great sharing and a lot of new readers, so super thank you to Ooh. Gavin Kendall. And soon, maybe I'll be extending even more thanks, as I do every Halloween, to the Wicked Library. So as we get closer to Halloween, there might be more of me talking about the Wicked Library. And I mean, if you're listening to podcasts and shows, like definitely tune in to Bind Torture Cast. They're doing Combat Shock, which is available thanks to Troma, being the home of true independent cinema, have put almost all their films on YouTube for free. So you can always watch a, a Troma movie for free. Um, Combat Shock will be up next there, which is really cool. Do like that. Uncle Lloydy has put everything up there. We should cover some Troma. We could definitely um, do some trauma. Yeah, I mean, I have some trauma movies. And not only that, but anything that we could possibly want to do, we have available on YouTube and shit yeah, like that. thanks to Uncle Lloydy. Yeah, yeah, but I can get into some, like, fucking Newcomb High or some weird shit like that. Bring the splatter back to splatter pictures. We will, but after we bring some some spooky, slow burn, haunted house stuff and true crime-ish kind of stuff to you. Yeah, yeah, but I'm excited. I'm also Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. (laughs) And you've been listening to Dead Air.